I mean, who doesn't want to have good relationships, right? Unless you're just like a psycho, everybody wants to have a good relationship. No matter if it's a relationship with your, your, your significant other or your boss or your friend or your kids or your parents or maybe co-parenting, whatever that looks like for you, we all want to have good relationships. In fact, it's one of the things that really unifies everybody. Like regardless if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat or you're an atheist or you're really, really religious, no matter kind of where you are, um, we all want good relationships, right? Because here's, here's what I know, and this is what you know, we all have relationships and we all want them to be good, right? Like no one really, you don't really push back against that statement. No one's like, no, I don't want my relationships. Everybody wants to have good relationships. And the truth is every relationships are everything. And and today we're going to look at what these relationship makers are. And let me just kind of go ahead and tell you where I got these relationship makers from. I did a lot of studying this week and, um, I looked at all the best places that you could find relationship advice. Like I went to Buzzfeed and took some quizzes and you know, those quizzes that's like, tell me your top three colors. And I'm going to tell you what kind of relationship person you are. Like I looked at those, looked at Yale university, some big studies of, of what everyone can universally agree are these things that make relationships good or make relationships healthy. But here's, here's what I discovered and what we're going to talk about and dig into tonight and that's this idea that these things that are, that BuzzFeed and Yale and Cosmo are all telling us, hey, these are the best, you know, this, here's how to have good relationships. What I discovered and what we'll discover together is Jesus in his word was talking about a lot of these things like thousands of years ago. And that's usually how it works, right? Usually culture and science catches up to God's word. That's how it's always been. And and so it's really no surprise when we hear some of these things, God in his word is like, yeah, I was talking about that a long time ago. And so we're going to look at these things. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four things. Okay. Four things that every good, healthy relationship needs to have. And then I'm going to make a deal with you. If you can pay attention, if you can take notes, if you laugh at my jokes, I'm going to give you one extra bonus one at the end. And this is something that I added. This isn't on Buzzfeed's list or anything like that. I just, something I discovered and I paid attention to and realized, man, this is probably really important. And there's a really piece of scripture that often gets overlooked that talks about this thing. So four things. And if you really, if you behave, you get excited, then I'm going to give you one extra one at the end. But number one, let's just jump into it and let's just see how we do today. Number one, trust, right? Now, nobody's shocked when I say that you need trust in a good relationship. You're like, oh, wow, try, <laughs> let me take a note, right? Like this is pretty common sense. We all need have trust in our relationships, but there's really no shocker here. Good relationships need trust. But if you look a little deeper, because we, we know that oftentimes we can sabotage relationships, a lot of times even before they get started, especially in the area of trust, because what I know and what you probably know is that the foundation of trust is actually this word called vulnerability. 
See, when we become vulnerable, I mean, you think about it, every moment and ounce of trust, and then on the breaker side, every ounce and moment of distrust in your relationships probably started because one person was vulnerable with the other person, and depending how the other person responded to that vulnerability, either trust was born into that relationship or distrust was born into that relationship in that moment. Because at the very heart of trust, you have this thing called vulnerability. And, and here's, here's where we get this wrong in relationships oftentimes, because there's this phrase and it's a pretty innocent phrase, right? We say that trust is what is earned. You hear that phrase a lot, right? Like trust is earned. You got to earn that trust. And while that sounds good and, and sounds good in a Buzzfeed quiz, the truth, when you really break that statement down is because when we say that trust is earned, what we're saying is that trust goes at the end. And if trust is going to go at the end, if we're going to put trust at the end of the relationship or time at the end of the relationship, then eventually we'll get to trust. Something has to come at the beginning. And if we're going to put trust at the end of the relationship, like something has to come at the beginning. And that thing that comes at the beginning, if we put trust at the end, what comes at the beginning is distrust. Now, I'll be honest, I'm no, I'm no expert. I'm just a simple, I'm just a simple spaghetti Western kind of man. Um, but I don't know many good relationships that start with distrust. And, but how, oftentimes that's what we do in relationships. We say, man, hey, we're going to start with distrust. We never say that because if we said that, that person would just think you're crazy. And, but we often will work and, 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 and behave like that. And so we put trust at the end. And when we put trust at the end, we put distrust at the beginning. And, and when we put trust at the end as something to be earned, we start the relationship with, with distrust. And let me just ask you this real quick. Imagine how much better your relationships might be if we didn't put distrust at the beginning. Like imagine if we started our relationship and we kind of flipped it on its head and we said that, hey, trust is actually going to be given and distrust is going to be earned. Like imagine if we just started our relationships and said, listen, I'm going to choose to trust at the beginning. And then if, hey, you can earn distrust really quickly, right? No one will push back against that. But I'm going to start the relationship with trust because you haven't given me a reason not to trust you. But oftentimes what happens is we bring these things into the relationship of our past hurts and our past experiences. And no one would blame you if they saw what you went through in your past relationship. They'd be like, I get it. Whew. But what <laughs> we put the other person, the new person we come into the relationship with is already fighting an uphill battle of distrust. And what if we just started that fresh and we just said, listen, hey, I'm going to choose to trust at the beginning. And then let's just say that distrust will be earned instead of flipping that around. Number two, selflessness, selflessness, right? This is one of those things that when you add selflessness to your relationships, it automatically makes your relationships and my relationships like a thousand times better. Because what selflessness, selflessness says is selflessness says, I'm going to put the other person's needs, wants, desires ahead of my own. And, and here's why when you add selflessness to the relationship, why it makes things better automatically, because selflessness is so counterculture. It is so counter what any advice you could get from the internet will tell you what to do in your relationships. Right? I mean, because our natural gravitational pull as flawed human beings, and don't get it twisted, that's what you and I are. 
we're flawed human beings, the natural gravitational pull in those moments is to put our own needs and, and wants and desires ahead of the other person's. That's the natural pull. But when we flip that, and, and this is one of those things that, you know, you see selflessness and people talk about it and God in his word says, I've been talking about this for like thousands of years. I'm glad you guys finally caught up. And so check, check this out. This is Philippians chapter two, um, verses three through four. This is Paul talking to the church at Philippi. He's writing this letter to these people and he says this really, really cool stuff. Check this out. Verse three, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Verse four, everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Because Paul knew right off the bat, Paul knew that I mean, we're only going to get in trouble if we just continue to only filter our decisions and our choices through what benefits me the most. If we do that on a constant basis, Paul knew that it's not going to get us anywhere healthy and good in our relationship. So he comes right out of the gate and says, flip it on its head. Like start thinking about others way more than you think about yourself. Right. And, and this is so true. Paul knew that. And Paul knew that in order to create unity, in order to create harmony, you need humility. This is one of those things that balances everything else out. And when we put a stop, and here's the truth, when we, you and I, when we put a stop to our selfish ambitions, there's no more need for fighting. You wonder why so often you and I will just get into like knockout, like boxing matches in our relationships. It's because all, more often than not, we are putting our own desires, needs, wants, all that stuff, and we filter everything else after that. And if we'll just like decide, hey, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run at the other person's pace. I'm going to put their wants, their desires, their needs ahead of my own. When we do that, there's no need to fight anymore. Yeah. There's no room for fighting in that moment. And if you ever find yourself in a place, and I love this, if you ever find yourself in a place where it's really hard to do this, and there are moments when you're just like, man, I'm, I feel like all we do is fight. You just think of, Jesus, because who else, who else modeled selflessness more than Jesus did? If anybody had a reason and an excuse not to continue to put others' needs ahead of his own, here is Jesus on the cross, bleeding out, his you know, getting closer to his last breath. And what is Jesus doing in this moment? He's reaching to the person next to him on the cross and he's ministering. It like, like literally, if anyone had a reason to go, you know what? I've done everything I need to do. I'm good. I'm not, I'm not. In his last moments, Jesus is running at the pace of the person next to him. And he's putting their needs and their desires and their wants and what's best for them. He's putting that way ahead of his own in that moment. So just think of Jesus. Number three, I love this. Communication, 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 communication. Be really honest. I believe in personal evaluations. I'll be honest for a second. This is not an area that I always get a hundred in. My wife is on the front row. I paid her not to like testify in this moment. And, um, but I believe in, I believe in, you know, call your own fouls. And so this is an area that I've had to be really, really intentional in, in my life, because it's not natural for me to want to, you know, 
tell them everything that I'm, I'm thinking and making decisions and communicating all that stuff. And so one of the things that we have to do regularly, sorry, we get to do regularly is when we have date nights and moments like that, I'll ask this question oftentimes. And the question is, hey, how, how are we doing in this area? And that's my nice way of saying, how am I doing? I say, how are we doing? I know how she's doing. She's doing great. I, how am I doing? Because this is not natural for me to like, because oftentimes, if I was honest, uh, there's plenty of moments in our marriage and in our life where I'm like, forget, we've got dinner with so-and-so tonight. And she's like, you never told me that. I'm like, probably right, <laughs> but we've still got dinner with them. So, you know, let's get going. <laughs> And there are probably more often, there are more moments like that than I would be comfortable to admit. So I've had to be really, really intentional in this area. And I've had to really think hard and long about this idea of communication because here's the thing about communication in every relationship, but especially in the arena of your significant other, it's not, it doesn't just happen especially in my life. Like I have to be so intentional in this area where we literally have appointments on the calendar that is to do nothing but talk about the week coming up. Just in case we didn't, just, be, just in case I missed something, there's no surprises coming up. This is something that you and I in relationships in order to have the best version of relationships have to be intentional about. Because if you're like me, and hopefully you're way better in this area, communication doesn't just happen. And so here's what I would tell you. This is where, <laughs> this is where you really get to think through the other person's priorities when you make your own and when at all possible communicate before you make the decision. This is huge. So often like we bring decisions to the other person. Hey, I've, already, I've decided I'm doing this. Hey, I've hey, I made the decision. We're going to do this. And, and, and like, and you say it like that, you're like, that's not, that's, that's, that's not, not really good. Like that kind of hurts a little bit to tell me this is what we're, we're doing. But often in relationships, we, we mess this up and we do this and communicate before you make the decision. And because here's why communication is actually one of the best ways to honor. So when I honor the other person, I communicate with them. When I, when I choose to like put their priorities ahead of my own, I'm actually, what I'm really saying is say, I'm going to honor the other person. I'm going to honor their choices. I'm going to honor their decisions because I'm going to, I'm not going to just bring decisions to them. And first Peter three, seven talks about this. It says, it says, husbands, you need to give honor to your, to your wife. So we're called to give honor to the other person. And when we give honor, we communicate and, 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 and you need to honor each other enough to communicate. And when you're, a when you're at a loss of what to do, you ask this really great question and that's, man, what does honor look like in this moment? Like when I'm trying to figure out like, how do I get, how do I get better at this? I need to remember that, hey, communication is just honoring the other person. And there's different ways that you can show honor through your communication. Number one, communicate early right? Like don't wait until the decision is made to communicate because at that point you're not honoring, you're informing. And when you're informing, you're not really honoring. You, you wouldn't buy a house and then tell your, tell your spouse or your significant other, Hey, I bought this house. You're going to love it. Like that probably would not go well. There might be some conversations. There might be some, you know, moments but when I can honor the other person enough to bring them into the loop. So, so communicate. Number, number two, communicate clearly. This is a big one. Don't just assume that the other person can read your mind. 
Like, be very clear about what you want. Be very clear about what you need, what you desire, what you expect. Bring those up to the front and just communicate. Talk about them. Next, communicate honestly. I love what Pastor Tim mentioned last week about the last 10%. Because so often we want to hold back. I don't, I don't want to say everything. Because I don't, you know, I don't know, that feels a little weird. But, but Pastor Tim taught us last week, says, hey, man, just give the last 10%. Because a lot of times we kind of hold back on that. But man, communicate honestly. Tell the other person everything that, that, that's going on inside. Bring them into the process. Because again, that, that's honor. But when I don't, when I leave stuff out, what it actually says is I don't, I don't trust them enough to give them everything. So honor them enough to communicate honestly. Then communicate often. I mentioned earlier, I have to put like a appointment in my calendar. And so every Friday, we literally, 9.30 a.m. pops up and we discuss the following week coming up because I don't want there to be any surprises. I don't want there to be any moments where I'm like, hey, don't forget, we did this and you never told me this. And, and we've been through enough, <laughs> not fight, we don't fight, we tiff. We've been through enough tiffs in our relationship about this area of communicating that I've known I'm just not smart enough to get this right on my own. I've got to put a system in place because I care enough about her Amen. to go, you know what? Like, this isn't helpful for you. I get that. And this isn't natural for me. And I know that I'm, I can get marginally better at these things, but I, I can never get exponentially better at these things. So let's just put an appointment on our calendar and we'll talk about it. Be systematic about it. Communicate often. Number four, last one, love, right? Every great relationship needs love. Nobody's shocked, right? You're like, whoa, love. Oh, God, okay. What, is, what, is, what does it mean to love? That's a big word. And when you ask people to define it, you, people come back with all these different, you know, what does love mean? What does love mean to you? What does it mean to you? Everyone comes back with these different definitions of, of, of love. And what I love, this is John 13, 34. It says this. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So Jesus in this moment is coming back and he's saying, listen, love is everything. Like love is the foundation and, 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 you, and he models it. He says, listen, you should love each other because I first loved you. And if anybody has a reason not to love you and I, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, listen, I, I know everything about you. I know every little detail. I know you at your worst. If you're in Enneagram 3, that like scares the mess out of you to hear that. But say, so I know everything, but I love you anyway. And he models it. He says, the same way that I love you, you should love others. Love is everything. And, and if we can remember this, it helps us through any and every challenge that comes into you, to our relationships. And this isn't something that's exclusive to your marriage. This isn't something that's exclusive to dating. Love covers a multitude of sins like we talked about in week one and love is one of those things that it should be in every relationship you and I have regardless of what that looks like whether that's co-parenting with an ex-spouse or, or or an ex and there's that tension of like oh like love should still filter in those moments love should filter through best friends and relationships and and through 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 parenting and you know co-workers love should be that filter that goes through everything else. And so I wrote down this. I said, usually we face challenges. We forget this simple principle and that's to just love. 
Like sometimes we, we, we get it so off course and we get so far off. And, and, and when you face those challenges, I, I kind of wrote this question down and it's based on, a, on another question. I kind of tweaked it a little bit. Um, in light of our history, right? So you and the other person you're, rela- you're in a relationship with, in light of our history, and this is important, it's not in light of my history because remember, selflessness should be a filter in your relationships for great relationships. So in light of our history, in light of our current situation, and in light of our future hopes and dreams, what does love look like in this situation? So when you're in a moment that you don't quite know how to handle it, right? Maybe there's some tension, maybe someone said something or did something, and there's all this offense in the moment. Like, in light of, in light of everything, what does love look like in this moment? How does love handle this interaction right now? And if we can filter our decisions and our, and our choices and our moments and our challenges through that question of, man, what does, what does love look like in this circumstance? Our relationships could look drastically better. And you may be sitting there, you're watching online, and you may be thinking, this is, this is such an oversimplification, right? Okay, just love. I get it. But it's actually in response to you and I overcomplicating things. It's an oversimplification that's actually in response to an overcomplication. Complication, because we overcomplicate these moments so well. And how do we overcomplicate them? Really easily. We overcomplicate relationships, challenges with layers of bias, right? What I desire, my, what I expect. We overcomplicate our challenges and relationships with our past hurts and feelings and experiences and pains. We bring those into the future things because you and I haven't dealt with them properly. So we bring them into the next relationship and we wonder why it's not working out, <laughs> and we wonder why the last one didn't work out, and the last one, because we, we bring all these overcomplications into our relationships, and, and then we bring, and we overcomplicate our relationship challenges with our current fears, right? Because you and I have all these fears. What if he leaves? What if she leaves? What if they talk about me? I don't want to be too vulnerable, because what if they hold that against me? in a fight? What if the next time we go toe to toe, like they're dropping bombs of things that I talked about in my moments of vulnerability and we bring, we overcomplicate our relationships because of these current fears that we have. And, and, and so what does love look like in that situation? Well, it's really simple. When you say it like that, you kind of like, okay, yeah, love looks like taking the phone call. Love looks like forgiving the other person. Love looks like owning your piece of the pie because and usually when we have tiffs, they're usually not 100% one person's fault or the other. Am I right? I know y'all aren't y'all got this figured out with relationships, but in my experience, sometimes I want to just put 100% of the blame on the other person when if I was honest, there's probably some things I could have done better. There's probably some things I wish I could have gotten back. If I had the moment back, I'd do it a little differently. That's what love looks like in that moment. It's an, it's, it's an oversimplification. It's an oversimplification in response to an overcomplication that we do in, in relationships. And that's what love looks like. And I wonder if we applied those four things, how much better could our relationships look like? Now, 
That was the first four. I think you did okay. I've got one more for you. And I'll be honest, this next one, this, this last one, it's kind of a bonus, you know, like you, I don't have, um, I didn't find this on a list. It wasn't on a BuzzFeed quiz. But honestly, if I was just us and we're getting coffee and, and I've counseled a ton of people about a ton of different stuff and I don't have it figured out, but for some reason, you know, God keeps putting me in front of people to talk about and talk to. And, um, and this is one thing I've noticed as I've gotten older, 32 now. And so, you know, I'm <laughs> learning a little more, figuring some stuff out, making a lot of mistakes and taking notes from my mistakes. And this is the thing that I've noticed often we don't do. And if I was honest with you, a lot of these big things that happen in your and my relationships and the things, and I, and I look at the people, right? You look at the people that have done relationships for a long time. And I wonder, I'm like, what do they, how are they getting this right so often? You, you, you meet people that have been married for 60 years and you're like married for 60. Holy cow. That's amazing. Like how does, and I meet people like that. And I'm just, I'm, when you live in today's culture and society where people are getting divorced left and right, like when you meet people that have been married for like 60 years, it's like coming across a unicorn. Like I'm just like dumbfounded. I'm like, tell me your secrets because that's what I want. Like I want to be married when I'm 60 to the same woman. Like I don't want to be on my third marriage, fourth marriage. And so I'm like, man, tell me your secrets. What is this? And, and the thing that I keep coming back to over and over again when I meet these people is they have this one quality and it's, a, and it's hard to put words on it. In fact, the thing I called it is not even a real word. So you're not going to find this in a dictionary anywhere, so don't judge me too hard. But I wrote this down, and I was like, this is just it. This is like just the thing. And it's number five or four B, if you want, I don't know, bonus. And it's be unoffendable. Like it's just a simple idea, right, of just be unoffendable. Because... It, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> it really helps in relationships, by the way, to just remember this idea that relationships are nothing more than two flawed human beings, like just interacting with each other, <laughs> right? Because you and I, like we, we kind of, we, a lot of times we, we, we think like, you know, that you're perfect and the other person is not perfect. And, 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 and just, it's just good to remember and remind ourselves that at the end of the day, we're really just two flawed human beings trying to figure this thing called life out. So maybe you and I should have a little more grace for the other person. Like, yeah, they're not perfect, but neither are you. You're not perfect either. So why in the world would you and I want to hold someone else to a standard that we cannot achieve? And oftentimes we do that because, you know, they're, they're not perfect, you know, they keep, but it's like, yeah, but look in the mirror, you're not perfect either. And we want to, we want to try to hold somebody else to the standard of, of, of perfection and relationships are like incredible things. They really are. It's one of the greatest gifts God gives us as human beings, and that's this, this, this concept of relationship with another person. And because the, the, but here's what I know, and here's where the, the challenges of relationships really kind of happen on, on the field day by day, and that's this, this. The closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for offense. And this is, this is where the enemy, more than anything, right? This is where the enemy comes in. And, and, and we wonder how, we wonder like how some relationships drift so far apart. Like there are people a year ago that I'm like, there's no way they're getting divorced. No way. 
No way those two people don't talk to each other anymore. And it's just a year that's gone by and they're divorced and they don't speak to each other anymore. And we wonder like how we drift so far apart. And here's how it happens. It happens like one offense at a time. And I'm not talking about like the big stuff like affairs and I know people cheat on each other and and the abuse happens. I'm not talking about the, I'm talking about these little itty bitty tiny like offenses. They happen like one offense at a time. And, and we keep these offenses. This is, this, is, this is how it works. This is how it happens for you and I. We have these little tiny offenses and we just nurture them. And we hold on to them and we hang on to them and, and, and we rehearse them and we go over them, we water them and they grow and they're the start of these little bitty things. But we don't, we don't deal with these things and they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And God talks about this in his word and we wonder like, how did we get here? Like, how did I drift so far apart from this other person? We used to be so close. I used to talk to them all the time. I used to hang out all the time. And what happens more often than not, it's these little offenses and we drift. And that's the enemy's strategy. It's one tiny offense at a, at a time. And Jesus talks about this in his word in great detail. This is in the book of Matthew. And this is actually Jesus talking. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this thing. And it's, a lot of times we overlook these verses. And if we would just like pause and go, okay, hold on, what does that mean? And he says this, I love this, verse 23, chapter five. Jesus is saying, so if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, verse 24, he says to leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is saying in this verse, I love this. He's saying, listen, like it's possible for you to be like doing one thing with your hands and your, in your, in your mouth, but in your heart have a completely different, different point of view. And what that looks like is you and I can come to church and we can be like worshiping and tithing and we can be inviting people, but we can have these things, these offenses against somebody else. And in this moment, he's saying, listen, it's possible. It's possible to be worshiping Jesus, but cursing your brother or sister. And he's saying, listen, it's way better than for you to get that right and then for us to talk. And so often we have these tiny little offenses between us and the other person. And and really what he's saying in this moment, he's saying it's not possible to be right with God and then have something against your brother or sister. Because so often... We think of it this way. We think of, well, the, the, the offense, the wall of offense is just between me and, and my brother or sister. And we build these walls of offenses and we think, oh, it's just, it's just between us, right? Just between us, but, but we're good. And God's coming along and saying, actually, there's a second wall. And that second wall, like, yeah, you got a wall between you and your brother and sister, but you have a wall between us. And there's this second wall. That if we don't deal with this first wall, then we will never be reconciled here. But yet we can be free and clear to go like one of just, <laughs> God, I love you. I hate them, but I love you. And we wonder how things get so far apart. And if you and I were honest, we would have this love for God, but this bitterness and this anger against somebody else. And, and, and God, his mission, his goal is to bring us together. 
but the enemy wants to tear us apart. And those two things are diametrically opposed. They do not coexist. Together and separate don't reconcile. So in order for us to have the best relationships ever, we have to learn what it looks like to deal with these little offenses, these little itty bitty things. And I'm not perfect. I'll be really honest. You put me in the right environment, I could get real offended real quick. I could post something on social media and somebody can comment and I could get my feelings hurt real quick. And I'm ready to block somebody and you know what? Or somebody can make a comment about my kid or even worse, like they don't tell me my kid's cute. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You seen my kids? I could be offended really quick. And I can be ready to like block them out of my life completely. And I'm ready, and I'm literally, I'm ready to permanently separate. Why? Because I'm offended. Because I'm offended. And, and, and here's the truth. These same people could have said a thousand positive things to me over the years, but they get one thing wrong. And that's the one thing I hang on to. It's, it's, I, know they, I know they've been there for me. Like, I know they were there for me when my kid was sick and all. Like, I know that. But what they, you know, but they said that. They didn't say she was cute. Like, really? And I hang on to this little offense. And I'm going to hang on to this. And, and you and I, like, our natural response to these offenses is to, is to cement the walls up and move on. And God in his word says, if you want to have the best relationships ever, if you want to have the relationship makers, like you can't be offended. Because the enemy's agenda is destruction. His strategy is division and his tactic is offense. You want to know where the enemy moves more than anywhere else? It's not in these big grand things. It's these small little offenses that we don't deal with and we hang on to and we move on with. It's these small little offenses because, because we prioritize being right over being right with each other. I'd rather be right than be right with you because I know I'm right and I've got my list and I've got my agenda, and I've got my reasons, and I'm right, and I know it. So, you know, if I never talk to you again, that's okay, because I'm going to die on this hill of being right. And Jesus is coming along in his words saying, listen, like, it's bigger than that. We have to put away those, those, those offenses. Where's Chuck at? Chuck? My man. Y'all get up for Chuck. Man. Chuck, you are by far probably one of the most unoffendable people I've ever met in my life. Like nobody, like Chuck doesn't hold grudges. It's impossible for him to, he's so noble, so pure of heart. Love you, man. So I'm gonna ask Chuck to help us with this next part because he can represent those of us that struggle with this because he's got this figured out pretty well. Will you help me grab some of these? Thanks, man. Because this is what it's like with offenses. We got these little things of offenses. 
and we hang on to them and we nurture them and we water them. We rehearse them. We go over them in our mind and we're like, I'm right. I know I'm right. And if you were to get up here and tell your story of how offended you are, we'd hear and be like, yeah, I get it. I'd be upset too. But Jesus says, listen, it's, it's bigger than that because here's what it's, Here's what it actually looks like to carry a fence. Hey, where you at? Come back. It's okay. Will you hold out your arms? This, hold, yeah, just like that. Okay. This is what it's like to, you got this? You okay? Okay, I think you can handle this. You're big and strong. How many, how many of these do you think you can carry? This is what it looks like when we carry offenses in our life. We just carry them and we stack them up and, and they look differently, right? And then, There are things like, oh, he didn't appreciate me. She didn't notice how hard I work. He didn't tell me I was pretty. We were at dinner and they complimented the other couple's baby that was there, but they didn't tell me how cute my baby was. They didn't give me the promotion. They, you believe they asked me to be on time? You believe that? Man, I'm so offended. They asked me to work my full schedule. You believe that? They expected me to do my job description. I'm so offended. You got it? You're so strong. So strong. And, 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 and we wonder why there's this wall between us. Chuck, where are you? We used to be so close. We used to hang out, Chuck. And all of a sudden there's these fences and there's this other way that we deal with these relations, with these offenses. We build these walls between ourselves and we wonder why we're not as close as we used to be. We wonder why like we're not, we don't hang out anymore. And we're dying carrying these offenses. And you want to know how, you want to know how to get your relationship back? You want to know like the best relationship maker there is? It's learning this. It's learning how to drop the relate, to drop the offenses. It's learning to go, you know what? <laughs> yep. They didn't, they didn't appreciate me. Yep. I get it. It's okay. I know they got a lot going on. You know what? Like I didn't get the promotion. Okay. There's the, I'll be, I'll be there for the next time. I'm going to ask them what I can do better. I'm going to meet with them. and I'm going to go, hey, listen, what can I do better to, in order for the next promotion to get? And then we can just drop the offenses. I know they were busy. I know they didn't think my kid was ugly. I'm, that's so crazy. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Don't go nowhere. learn to drop the offenses because here's we you and I like we can't control what comes at us like we can't control what's said we can't control what's done we can't control what somebody gives us but what we can control is how quick we drop it we can't control right when somebody gets upset and angry and you know what they come at me and I can't believe they said that are you kidding me like, like I, uh, you know we but we can control how we drop it when they don't notice you like drop it when you don't get the promotion drop it when they don't signal you out drop it don't carry that offense you got to learn to drop it you want to know how to have the best relationship ever 
Like you want to know the secret to relationship makers? It's not about how easily you and I can get offended. It's actually about how easily you and I can get over it. You want your relationship to go the distance. Drop it. You want your relationship to like go like the last 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. You got to learn how to get over it. You got to drop it. You got to drop it. Otherwise, we'll carry it and we'll carry these big offenses. And God in his word says, how, how can, how can, how can you and I be right? when you and I aren't right. Right now, I want every head bowed in this room. If you're watching online, unless you're driving a car, bow your head. You keep your eyes on the road if you're watching in your car. But who doesn't want to have good relationships? All of us do. And no matter if you're like on your fourth or fifth marriage, there's still hope for your next one. It's not over. Maybe you're here and you've burned every bridge you've ever crossed. You got ex-bosses that won't talk to you. You got people that used to be so best friends with. Now you don't speak anymore. Learn how to get over it, man. Learn how to drop these offenses. And if you're here and you've never, never given your life to Jesus, we don't ever want to end a series or even a message without sharing the hope of Jesus that is the gospel. Because the truth is you and I do not have it together. And just because you're in church doesn't mean you've got it figured out. All of us are what the Bible calls sinners. And really what that just means is we've made mistakes. So if you've ever told a lie, guess what? Okay, you're a liar. You've ever stolen something, guess what? That makes you a thief. You're looked after the opposite sex and lusted. Like, guess what? Okay. Jesus in his word says you might as well have already done it. And those are just three things off the top of my head. And right there, that makes me a lying, thieving adulterer. And, and, and Jesus in his word says, listen, the, the wages of those sin is, is death. And what death in the Greek means is eternal separation from him when we die. And don't get this twisted either. We will die. There will come a day when we breathe our last breath and in that moment, all that matters is what you and I believe about God. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life and it's a gift. That means you don't have to buy it. You don't have to redeem it. All you have to do is accept it. And if you and I will accept this gift, then you and I can have eternal life when we die. And that gift is Jesus. He says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart 
that Jesus paid the price for your sins and for mine. And God's word says, and the history books says, and teach us that Jesus did this by laying down his life on a cross and giving his life freely for, for your salvation, for your eternal life and for mine. And if we'll believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that not only did he die, but history books and the scriptures teach us that three days later, he rose from the dead because he said he would. Because it was prophesied that he would. And he did. And there's eyewitness accounts of people that walked and talked with him after he died. And if you and I will just confess with our mouth and believe, we can have eternal life. And if you've never done that, I want to give you that opportunity to do that right now, no matter where you are, whether you're watching online, you're at one of our campuses, or you're right here in the room. Let, let today be the day you give your life to Jesus. Don't let another day go by because you do not have tomorrow. It is not promised to you. It's a gift we hope for, but it is not a promise that is guaranteed. And if you were to walk out of this building or get in a car accident and you die and you do not have Jesus, you will spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. But God in his love, in his mercy, and in his grace made a way for you and I to have eternal life. And all you have to do is, again, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and we're all going to pray this together because we're going to support people that are going to pray this for the very first time today. So if you repeat after me, you say, Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. That all together now that I've made mistakes, I've messed up, and I need a savior. I believe you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. And I confess and I believe that three days later, you rose from the dead just like you said you would. Come into my heart. Teach me how to live. Everybody looking right up here. Everybody looking right up here. If that was you, we in just a second, I'm going to count to three. And I'd love for you to raise your hand. And, and, and really, it's just because we want to celebrate with you. And our host team would love to put a gift in your hands. Just as our way of saying, welcome to the family of God. I promise you we will not harass you. I promise you we will not call you 30 times and ask you for money. I promise we won't do that. We just want to celebrate with you and partner with you on this journey of following Jesus. That decision is the best decision you've ever made or will ever make. And so in the count of three, I want you to have some courage. I want you to raise your hand because we're going to celebrate and we're going to join heaven that is going nuts celebrating you today. All those that made that decision for the very first time. If that was you when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand or let us know in the chat. Just say, Jesus made me new. 
Every week we see people from all over the world give their life to Jesus in the Facebook comments. And we're so excited you're doing that on YouTube. We're so grateful that we're leading people to passionately follow Jesus all over the world. So if that's you here today or watching online, when I count to three, I want you to raise your hand so we can celebrate with you. All right, one, two, three. If that's you, keep your hands up.